All right, everybody, glory to God. So good to see all of you here today. Do you know they say that Easter Sunday is the largest attendance of church uh, in congregations in America on Easter Sunday? And you know what's fascinating is they say the Sunday after Easter is the lowest numbers of people that attend church. But it looks like you were here today, and um, the room is full, so you must be hungry for God. Our God is risen. Amen. The grave has been conquered. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that you're here. I met somebody that's here for the first time from Louisiana today, and um, I always love to give shout out to Louisiana people because they know about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. You know, they're, they're, they were lifelong friends. Here's what you know, you got to know about Cajuns. Cajuns love to make fun of one another. That's, uh, the Tennesseans kind of do that too. It's just kind of a different flair. And uh, anyhow, I thought I'd tell you a story about Thibodeau who had become very concerned about Boudreaux because every time Boudreaux would come over to visit, Boudreaux would end up on the back porch where he kept the dog food, and he just always hanging out where the dog food was. He sniffed the dog food and check out, make sure the bag was full, and he's always looking to see if the dog had plenty enough food. And, and uh, Thibodeau didn't think much about it, but it just kept happening. It's, every time Boudreaux comes over the house, he goes right back to the back porch, starts sniffing around at the dog food. And um, on one occasion... It happened again, and Boudreaux disappeared, and Thibodeau finds him on all fours in front of the dog food bowl. And he says, Boudreaux, Cher, you be done got a problem. Boudreaux, get in my car right now. We're going to see the doctor. So Thibodeau drives into the psychiatrist. They get out the car, and... Uh, they wait for hours, and finally, the doctor says, come on back. But Thibodeau went with him. And the doctor said, uh, Mr. Boudreaux, what seems to be the problem? And he wouldn't say anything. And Thibodeau said, spoke for him. He says, he's got this incredible fascination for my dog food. He be done got a problem. And so the psychiatrist asked him, Mr. Boudreaux, is that true? And he said, that's true. And he said, well, when did this happen? He says, I don't know, a long time ago when I was a puppy. You know, they teach you when you speak, doing public speaking, you should never laugh at your own joke, but I'm sorry, I just cracked myself up. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> I have to make this into a real spiritual point, and here's what it is, everybody. It's like, who you perceive yourself to be really determines the things that you're going to go after. How many of you know that's true? And what, 
who you perceive yourself to be. In other words, a, a person's identity strongly influences his desires, his taste, and it even controls his actions. And many Christians really are confused about who they are in Christ. Okay, by listen to me. This is so important. Um, if you're confused about who you are, that confusion often leads you to behave in ways that are inconsistent with who God wants you to be. In fact, many of us try to change our behavior and we work really hard and we keep stumbling over the wrong things that we're doing. And, uh, but we have it in reverse because if we really understood who we were first and we lived up to our true identity, then our actions would follow suit. And when you just try to change to be somebody that you haven't embraced fully, then you will find yourself acting out of character. Uh, is anybody listening to me? If, if you perceive yourself to be a dog, then you're going to find yourself being drawn to dog food. And so it's so important for us to, to understand our identity. In the last two weeks, we have said that the cross of Christ is the centerpiece of our faith. And, and the, two weeks ago, I talked a lot about Jesus and his time in the garden when he agonized in prayer and struggled with the decision to go to the cross. Do y'all remember that? We said before there was a cup, before there was a cross, there was a cup. And he, remember he prayed, Father, if this cup could pass, I don't want to drink it. But he drank it anyhow, and he surrendered to the cross. And then last week we said that the power, it was the, through the power of the cross that the Father purchased our freedom through the blood of his Son. That was Easter Sunday's message. The message of the cross and the resurrection is not just a story that we should just highlight at Easter time. And this is one of the reasons why I'm still teaching about this because uh, this is so important because our, our identity is in the cross. And if, if, we, if our identity is confused, then the way that we function as believers will be also confused. And so I want to draw our attention here because this, the message of the cross is so powerful that it transcends every religious message that has ever existed and will ever exist. The great news of the cross. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, the apostle Paul said, for I was determined, when I was with you, I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, say that with me, everybody, and him crucified. And, and can I just say this, in, in, the, in the religious division that we have worldwide, people love to talk about extraneous things. They love to get you sidetracked on things that don't matter. You know what matters? This Jesus and the cross. Jesus, his cross, and him crucified. That's what matters. And so when everybody wants to debate with hostility all the differences of denominations and religions and all that stuff, I just try to bring people back to the centerpiece of our faith. God loved you so much that he went to the cross, suffered, and died in your place, became the substitution for you. This was the substitutionary death of Jesus 
where he took our sins and through the power of the cross imparted his righteousness to us. That is an incredible revelation. That is the gospel. That is the centerpiece of our faith. Without it, we are miserable and we are terribly lost. It's a doctrine of substitution. For us who are believers, I want you to see today that there is not only his cross that he took, but we have a cross to bear also. Remember, Jesus said, if you really want to follow me and be my disciple, you should pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, right, and follow me. And so it's important for us to understand, fully understand, how relevant what happened over 2,000 years ago is to us. And, and, and if we could really embrace it and come to an understanding and come to faith about this, then I'm just saying you will find burdens lift and depression cease. You, as a Christian, you will find the joy that God has for you. But if you're still trying to live the life that Jesus has for you while you're on all four knees trying to resist the dog food because that's who you used to be, but you're not that person anymore, then you're going to struggle in your life. Listen, everybody. Get up off all fours. You are not a dog. You belong to Jesus. You have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, and you are a new creation in Christ. So, so I want you to get this. Uh, you were not only saved because of the crucifixion of Christ that happened on the cross, but in God's eyes... The crucifixion not only happened to Jesus, but it happened to you. Now, this is a very deep spiritual truth that we want to understand because today we're going to talk about the doctrine of identification. We talked about substitution last week. We're going to talk about our identification in Christ. We want to overcome our ID problem. Okay, so I want you to get this. It, if it happened to Jesus, it happened to you because you were crucified with him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, one of the most powerful verses for Christian living that I can find in the Bible. Incredible truth. Don't yawn at me. And because it's familiar, don't gloss over it, everybody. Let's unpack this and let's, let's get the wealth of riches that's for us that's in this verse. Look at it on the screen with me. The Apostle Paul said, For I have been crucified with Christ. Everybody say with. That's a very powerful, theological, deep spiritual word that's impact, that's packed full of all kinds of meaning. We were with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me, who loved me, who loved me, who loved me, who loved, see, this is the great thing about Christianity, it is a love-based religion. Who loved me, he loved me, and therefore he gave himself for me. And so we love him because he first, what? He loved us. So I have been crucified with Christ, and I want uh, to do my best to help us understand this because there's some tension in this. If Jesus died for me, what does it mean for me to die also? Well, he says the same thing again in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We're talking about being crucified with Christ. 
Romans 6, 6, he says, we know that our old sinful dog food eating self was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. So this is not the only, he didn't just say this once, by revelation of the Spirit, he's saying that we were crucified with him and the reason why is so that sin could lose its grip or its power or its draw in our life to things that are contrary to what pleases God. I mean, this is very applicable to us today. We're going to do water baptisms after. You see the tank that's up here. And I'm so excited about this. I love it whenever people get water baptized. It's going to happen today, and we're going to celebrate. But I want you to see that water baptism is this vivid, incredible picture of our new identity in Christ. And we taught this before, and you have, you're familiar with it, but some may not be. I want you to get this, that God loves to teach deep spiritual truths through metaphors, similes, comparisons, whatever you want to call it. He says, you can see this in the natural, but this is how it applies in the spiritual. And so in the natural, he gives us this incredible picture of what happens spiritually when we identify ourselves with Christ. In fact, Romans chapter 6, he goes deeper in this doctrine of identification. Verse 3 says that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ through baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Somebody say glory to God. Since we have been united with him in his death, we are also raised to life just as he was. I want you to see, everybody, it's really important for you to see that when Jesus died on the cross, he removed all the barriers that kept us separated from God. All of the sin barriers. And according to the scripture, this, there was an, an amazing union that happened in a, in a spiritual realm. A, a union, a connection, a uniting. We talked about this a lot last week, right? So we are united with Christ. 73 times in the New Testament it says we are in Christ or united with him. That there is a union that formed. And I'm, I've, I've really you know, thought, how in the world can I communicate this? So, so, so God speaks through metaphors and similes and comparisons, and he does that in such a powerful way. And the best way, I think, to describe it is the union of a marriage. This incredible union where one man and one woman are united through a covenant of marriage, and, and the Scripture says the two become one. There's a union that forms, right? In fact, we use the illustrations of marriage all the time. I heard it, I heard it just here this morning. I was talking to one of our men that's one of our leaders at the church, and we were talking about something that we need to do to make a correction, purchase some items. And I was asking him, how do you feel about it? And he said, well, I'm not married to the decision. I asked Carrie the other day, it's been a while, but we were looking to, uh, about some stuff, trying to make some decisions on a piece of furniture or something to buy. And I'm like, do you really like this? He goes, yeah, I like it, but I'm not married to it. 
I'm like, well, I'm glad because she's married to me. <laughs> Not married to it. But you, you understand what we're saying. So there's this incredible metaphor. I'm not, I'm not united. To, this is not a piece of me. But when we are united with Jesus, in a sense, we're married to him. We're married to our relationship with Christ. In fact, if you take it deeper, the Scripture says this, this union is clearly spoken of in the Bible, that we are the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. There's coming a day, a glorious day, where we will all be together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's this incredible union that we have. Well, we only have that union with Jesus because of the cross and because we were crucified with him, that we were in him. And you know, you know one, of the, one of the most difficult things about marriage, so I've been married twice, married twice. The first time I was married, my wife passed away. Second time I'm, I'm married, and thankfully she's lucky she's still alive. I mean, come on, everybody. She's the luckiest thing in the, on the planet to be married to me. <laughs> Thankfully, Jesus hadn't taken her home yet. <laughs> but here's the deal. Listen to this, everybody. When you get married, whether it's your first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, marriages fall apart. What are y'all laughing at? Y'all been married twice to the same person. <laughs> What? I'm sorry, I had to call you out. Y'all should y'all shouldn't have been snickering with one another. It's Chrissy Christie got divorced and decided that was a bad decision, so let's get married again. And they've been married happily. Give them a hand, everybody. I'm sorry, I'm probably in trouble with my wife and one of my best couples in the church. But that's the so, so listen, here's the problem. The problem is, is when you get married, you get in this union, but you end up bringing things that were outside of the marriage that are attached to you into the marriage. Listen, we've been doing marriage counseling with ourselves and with other people for a long time, and we find that this is universally true. The function of marriage really gets dysfunctional whenever there are external things that get brought in, the way that you approach, you know, your desires. Come on, everybody, your taste. Hello? Your weird fascination for dog food. That's your former life. Why am I still wanting that? Your loyalty to parents. Hello? Loyalty to past lovers. All, you, all that stuff gets mixed up in a marriage, and you might be legally married. Hello? But you're not experiencing the joy of the union of marriage. You aren't one in the marriage. Is anybody preaching with me a little bit? You know, let your spirit man preach a little bit because you've got to hear this. I want you to understand the reason why you're not enjoying your union with Christ is not his problem. It's probably because you have brought some things from your previous life into this union with Christ, and it just is a dysfunction. He's not going to have it. Listen, Jesus ain't the problem. The problem is you and your past, you and your old life, you and your dog food desiring ways. And, but when you were crucified with Christ, something happened. The old person that you used to be died on the cross when Jesus died. 
And now the scripture says you need to reckon that person dead. And so de dead men can't fight and argue with other people. Dead women, they don't fight and argue with others they, they, they're, because they're dead. And if you're crucified with Christ, then you have put to death the old man and fully embraced the new. You can never be everything God wants you to be until this happens. Can you say amen? So just be, there's, I'm just saying there are a lot of people that are sitting in church, but they're not experiencing the joy of being united with Christ because their union is divided with Jesus because they have not put to death the desires of their flesh or they have brought past experiences that they're still attached to. This is why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Come on, everybody. Deny yourself and follow me. So I'm just trying to help us. Is it okay if I pastor you a little bit this way, everybody? See, in Christ, through the cross, we have a new identity. In Christ, through the cross, this is the power of the cross, we have a new identity. And this is why I said two weeks ago when Jesus was surrendering to the cross to take the cup and die on the cross for our sin, that there comes a time, and it happens more than once, where you have to agonize in the garden of your life and say, not my will, but thy will. Amen? And so in Christ, through the cross, you have a new identity. Let's just stay with our metaphor. Let's just stay with this illustration of marriage for just a few more minutes because, you know, the Scripture teaches us that before we became one with Christ, that we were united with Adam. So Adam, the first man that create, was created who sinned in the garden, right, that we were united with him in his garden experience. Thank God for the second Adam that came and we are united now with him in his garden experience. But we once were united with him. Before you were made righteous in Christ, you were made a sinner in Adam. Let me show you the scripture. This is Romans chapter 5 and, and chapter 6. Just amazing, incredible truth here. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We were identified with Adam's sin. You say, well, was his sin accounted to me? Yes, it was, because we were born in that sinful nature, but, you know, you can't really blame it on Adam because you have your own will, and there's no one in here. There are none righteous, no, not one. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God right? Because in a sense, our union with Adam, we were married to what happened in that garden. Are y'all with me still? Okay. Romans 5.18 says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but here's the good news, right? Christ's one act of righteousness brought right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Now let it just sink in. Thank God for the second Adam who came and redeemed everything that the first Adam gave away. 
all right? And that, that, that union that we had with the first Adam now has been conquered and separated, divided. It was, it was the bondage of that sin, Adam's sin, inherit, the inherited sin that we had, it was all nailed to the cross and the debt was canceled and now we're free to marry another. Okay, stay with me, everybody. I so want you to know this. When you accepted Jesus, you said, I do. And when you said, I do, you said, I do to something new. And the old doesn't work in your life anymore. All right, so now that I'm married to Jesus through salvation, I have a new life to live. And since I am in a new union with him, I have to learn how to live in that union, just like Carrie and I had to learn how to live in our new marriage. Our history was different. She was a young, never-been-married girl. And I was a man that had been married and had two kids. She thought she would be a great stepmom to my kids because she was a great babysitter. Do you know the reality of being married to a man that has kids? All of a sudden, everything hits like a ton of bricks. When you're babysitting, you leave the kids with mom and daddy, and you go home to your bed as a single and go to sleep. When you're married you, to somebody, that kids, the kids are knocking on your door at 11 o'clock at night with fever, and next day they got to get up and go to school, and then they do bad things, and they got to be disciplined, and... I can remember when Carrie and I first got married, we would sit down on the couch and we were so happy. We were so in love and we were passionate. And we, don't be nervous, baby, it's all right. And we sat down on the couch together with my oldest daughter. She just, she thought this is just the most wonderful thing. She was enamored by watching dad have, a, have somebody to be in love with and the way that Carrie looked at me. But almost every time we would sit down and start to snuggle, Ashley would come sit right between us. I mean, wedge her little booty right in between us. And I thought to myself, this is so sweet. I love this so much. She's got a mom and Carrie's cutting daggers at me. It's not because she didn't love Ashley. It was because, hello, can we have some married time? How many of you are single again and you know what it's like raising somebody else's kids? Raise your hand. Let, let me see. Oh, everybody has failed at this and nobody wants to admit it. There's a lot of you in here that have been through the very thing that I'm talking about. So I got two daughters and they both are married. That one that used to snuggle and interrupt our lovey kissy time. And then we carry and I have a daughter of our own, Abby. And you, if you don't know Abby, I don't know how you don't because she makes herself known. Hey, Abby. She's probably online right now. Um, and both of them are married. And, and I, I've, I found something uh, that, that when I was dealing with this very strange thing of my daughter's becoming fond of another man, it just, it, it was a battle, an inner battle, because you know what? These were my little girls, and they grew up in my house, and here comes some smooth-talking, 
ugly little, <laughs> nasty little, goofy little boy, smooth talking both of my daughters. It happened with both of them. And, um, and they grew up and they ran off with another man. <laughs> yes, they did. I mean, me and my girls have something good going on and those jokers interrupted it. I mean, they said things like this, I love you. They deceived them. If you marry me, if you transfer your name, if you leave your daddy and you come and take on my name and come under my covering, live in my house, I'll take care of you for the rest of your life. You know what they said? Daddy, I love you, but I got to go. I have found somebody new. And you know how this works, everybody, and I don't want to draw it out too much, but, you know, it's almost always I told my daughters, whenever you leave, don't come running back to daddy. You have made your decision, and when you hit tough times, you're going to, walk, you're going to work through those tough times with the person you're married to. And, and so, but invariably, life hits, and the phone call happens, Daddy, I need some help with this. I need some help with that. Now, why would they keep coming back to me? You know, the, the reason why is because we have history together. They grew up with me most of their lives. And they know that they're loved by me. And they know I know how to fix things. And they know that when they need help, if the, if the new guy can't help them, they still got daddy. Hello, everybody? This is the problem with us, is that we have bonded with the new guy. And let me tell you, the new guy can never be who he needs to be to you in your life, just like the new husband will never be a husband if the daughter keeps running back to daddy or keeps running back to mama. Is anybody listening? I know, that, I know this is not a marriage conference, but it just seems like it's turned into this. But sometimes the best thing that you can do as a dad is just say, hey, listen, daughter, you're married now. And you have a life with the person that you're one with. You have a union. Y'all need to figure this thing out. My point is this, everybody. You have to leave the old relationships with your former life behind so that you can fully bond in the union that you have with Christ. So in some sense, you have to die and be crucified to the life that you relied on in times of your historical past and embrace the new. This is the power of the cross. Let me say it this way. Jesus died for your sins on his cross. We die on our cross to ourselves. He died for you on his cross. We die for him on ours. All right. So I'll read it again to you. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And, then, and now the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you said I do to someone new, and now you have to say goodbye 
to the old you. Watch, Watchman Nee said it this way. I want you to put this on the screen. Look at this, everybody. He said that the blood can wash away my sins, but it cannot wash away my old man. It needs the cross to crucify me, the sinner. Our sins are dealt with by the blood, but ourselves are dealt with by the cross. The blood procures our pardon. The cross procures our deliverance from what we are. If you don't fully embrace your identity as a believer, you'll find yourself hanging out with the old nastiness of your old life on somebody's back porch. Come on, everybody. We've got to just grow up. On the cross, Jesus died for my sins. On my cross, I die to myself. Why is this so important? Because in Christ, we have a new purpose. We, listen, everybody. In, in Christ, we have a union. We're united with him in a new identity. But that new identity is because he created us for a new purpose. And, 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 and this is God's purpose. I just have to go back to Ephesians 1 and give you just a scriptural basis for what I'm saying. Because I want you to transition from the fact that I died to the old, my, the old person I was, potentially the power to break that control of my old life happened when Jesus surrendered to his cross, so I surrendered to mine, and there's power by the Holy Spirit for me to break that union. And the reason why that's so important is because we can't carry that old stuff in, that old sinful me, sinful self, into our new purpose that God has created for us. Ephesians says, the life I now live is a, is a new life of purpose. Look, v verse 4, chapter 1, I chose, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the, everybody say it, the, according to what? The, the purpose of his will. If you drop down to verse 9, he said that he made known to us the mystery of his will. Again, he says, according to the, say it with me, the, his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Keep reading verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. This is through the cross. Have, having been predestined according to, say it again with, again with me, according to the what? The purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the counsel of his will. So, so the old you, the old life, your old affections, your old things that you were united to, you leave the sinful stuff behind, but you trust that God takes all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the challenges, and he works them together and conforms them in your life and uses them for the purpose of his will. Do you get this, everybody? It's not like you forget everything about who you were. I lost a wife in a terrible automobile accident. I cannot tell you how many men I have ministered to who had lost a spouse, who had lost a person, and they like, can, can you just talk to me because you went through the trauma of this? Well, this, what, what is that all about? Is God taking the old and he's conforming it into the purpose of the new. Now he redeems the old and he can use what has happened to me to help those 
in this new purpose. It happens to you also. You were created, and in Christ now, you have a new purpose. In Adam, you had no purpose. But in Christ, you have a purpose. And the old man lived for self. The new man lives for this purpose to which you were created. And this is the, everybody listen to me. This is the fun part of being a Christian. I mean, you guys are just kind of looking at me, but I'm just telling you, this is the fun part of being a Christian. It's like, what's the purpose today, God? What are you purposing to accomplish in me, through me, today or this month? Or what, what is the purpose why you united us together in this marriage? Or what can we accomplish? What can we purpose for you? Uh, you know, there's... There's this saying that goes around, right? Everybody, we're always talking about repurposing this room or repurposing this old piece of furniture or repurposing this carpet or repurposing. This is, this, God's the master repurposer. He takes your old stuff, delivers you from the sinful part of it, and he repurposes it for the very purpose of his will. This is what's exciting about being a believer is that when you start thinking beyond yourself. Let me give you one more illustration. Everybody has a refrigerator in their home. I think in these days in the United States, most everybody has a refrigerator, at least in this room. I believe that to be true. But you know, a refrigerator doesn't exist for its own purpose. It was created and designed for a specific purpose, and it operates not for its own purpose, but for the purpose of the purchaser. You purchased it for a purpose. By the blood of Jesus on the cross, God the Father purchased our freedom, washed us, free, cleaned us up, and gave us an opportunity to exist for the purpose of his will. Everybody listen to me. The refrigerator that exists in your house is not a living soul. It is, in a sense, dead. Now, of course, if you don't clean it, there'll be some things come alive inside of it. <laughs> Gross, right? But it has no will of its own. It has no purpose of its own. It keeps ice cream because the purchaser likes ice cream. It keeps iced tea cool because it was purchased to keep stuff cool so that the owner could enjoy it. Are y'all preaching with me here, everybody? Because you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and you exist for the pleasure of God the Father, and you exist to accomplish something great. And you can only be everything that he wants to be when you nail yourself and keep yourself nailed to the cross, and you are crucified with him so that you exist. No, an ice cream, a refrigerator doesn't keep ice cream so the, so the refrigerator can enjoy the ice cream. It doesn't, it doesn't open the carton and sit down with the spoon and indulge, I do that. I bought the refrigerator. 
I eat the ice cream. Hello, everybody. Jesus purchased you with his blood. Hello? And he delights in you and what you are accomplishing for his purpose. In Christ. Hello, everybody. Hello. You were married to Adam, and that thing ended badly. But you have been redeemed from all of the bad things that you inherited, and now you have a union with Christ, and you live for his purpose. He purchased you for a purpose. So I just need to learn how to stay plugged into his power so that I can accomplish what he wants to do so that he can delight in me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. And this life that I'm now living, this physical life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So on the cross, Jesus died for my sins. On my cross, I died to myself. It's not so profound, but so powerful. When you embrace it, accept it, and realize that every day, Paul said, I die daily. Every day there's an opportunity for you to live the crucified life and yield your life to God's purpose. You say, well, how do I know if I'm, how does this tangibly work? How does it really work, Pastor Ron? You know, it, 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 it's not that difficult. It works this way. I, let me rephrase that. It's not that confusing. It's difficult, but it works this way. If God wants you to do this and you want to do that, when you die to yourself, when you crucified, then you choose this and you say no to that. And every day, in attitude, in action, in thoughts, and in the day-to-day decisions that you make, you're usually confronted with a this and that. God's this and you're that. And every, every, every time that you choose that, then you are like this refrigerator that just come alive and starts gobbling up what God doesn't want you to consume. But when you choose this instead of that in other words when you say yes god no self or let's let's go bigger when you say yes god no devil and no self then that's how you die to self and that's why the cross is so meaningful because it's not just about his cross and his sacrificial death He loved us, and he hung on the cross, and he died for us. But now we take up our cross daily as his disciples and yield our life. And and can I tell you, water baptism is so powerful because it is the picture of me dying to self, dying to my past, and being buried with Christ and coming up united with him and now living for his purpose come on everybody let's stand up together
Thank you, Jesus. Now, there's three people that's registered uh, right now to get water baptized. And if you're new to the church, you just need to know that we, we bring all of the children in when we do this. And so kids are coming in right now down the aisle. And uh, when we're done with this, they'll go back up to their classroom and you'll check them out there for security's sake. We're not just going to let the kids be released without the proper way that we do things. But we also want the children to see when another child gets water baptized or to just realize the dynamic of what happens when people give their um, lives in full surrender to the Lord. Now, I'm just going to say this. Water, the act of water baptism is not what saves a person from their sin. It's faith and faith alone, not by works. So there's no... There's no physical outward thing that you must do to get saved. It comes from your heart. But how many of you know that you can love somebody and be, and be united with them in, in your heart, but there's something very powerful that happens when you, before everybody, say, I do. And this is the I do. And this is where I'm losing my identity and I'm embracing the new person that I am in Christ. Hey, kids, so glad you're here. Listen, I, 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 I would love for you not to just slip out the back. We're going to dismiss you in a minute. Uh, I got a dress shirt on. I'm going to go change it so I don't get it soaking wet. I'll be right back, and we're all going to celebrate these water baptisms together. If you're in here right now, and you're like, you know what? This message inspired me so much. I wasn't prepared. I didn't sign up. Um, but I want to be baptized. We're ready for you. And we can do it. You might have to drive home in some, sitting in some wet pants, but you know what? Don't let anything stop you from going fully after the things of God. Amen? Okay, our team is ready. Let's worship together. I'll be right back.